Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And we are joined today by the highly talented, very cool, Brianna Ibarra, slash, not slash, but in addition, Galbraith, that's your, you know, married name. Yeah, Ibarra Galbraith, But Ibarra is like your stage name. Yes, it's my stage name and my family name. Well, yeah. (laughs) Duh. Uh, Duh, Josie, (laughs) come on, get it together. But yeah, so you are a songstress, recording artist, super cool jazz musician. Yeah. And you go to church sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not I during the worship, pandemic. I am a worship artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you've jumped into most most music, a lot of music. Like I know you were in gospel choir in college because we shocker everybody another apu person don't we're, at us <laughs> we're gonna get non-apu people too i promise yeah just ask to be on the podcast anyways <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so you're a like super musician like you do it all <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> i love it uh well today we're talking about artists in the church which you <laughs> know a lot about so <laughs> So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience, your story, your testimony, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Sure. Um, So I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school um, pretty much from preschool to sixth grade. And I mentioned those early years because this is kind of where all the artist stuff started because... As a (laughs) five-year-old, I was playing a little piano and started writing story songs. I called them story songs because for some reason I thought that songs didn't have stories. And so I'd I'd write short stories and put music to them. So I did that. But I was going to mass um, during school and also on Sundays. So we had a parish and stuff. I got involved in a little bit of arts in those early years, but it was, um, I definitely had piano lessons. And I thank my grandparents and my mom for basically seeing that I had an interest and then putting me 
into lessons um, and having, you know, uh, a type of place where I felt like I could develop that because in the church, uh, it was either stifled or just seen as a decoration. So, you know, singing in church was, if you're a kid, it's usually choir, right? So in choir, I had like ambitions about like different music and whatever, but that was always pretty much, I don't want to say silenced, but it was definitely like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) and so that kind of started some really real discouragement. Um, Again, I was really lucky I had outside things. So there's some people that do not and church is their only outlet for art. (laughs) And so fast forward a little bit I uh, decided in seventh grade I was like you know what I don't know if I believe this stuff and I'm not just going to go through the motions so I'm going to take a break (laughs) and I became I guess you would say agnostic but then I encountered this church called Mosaic Mm. and (laughs) Josie and I were talking about this recently Um, and Mosaic was freaking weird at the time because you know having catholic services and then my parents taking me to a club in downtown la and there's like lights and there's a rock band and you know people are waving their hands and it's more of a charismatic expression like it freaked me out (laughs) but on the flip side i also saw artists being respected you know at, at a surface level so i was like huh i'm kind of interested in this and I ended up joining that church with my parents, but they had a artisan audition. <laughs> it's a very weird thing, but they basically had people come in and express what their art was like an audition. And I decided to write a song, <laughs> write a biblical song. And that was at a point where I was still kind of agnostic, but I was interested So I wrote a song called The 11th Letter, and it was based on the Psalm 119, Cough. So I I, I was searching for biblical, I was basically trying to, to find lyrics that were in the Bible, but that really spoke to me. So the Psalms that were very praise based didn't speak to me at that point in my life. So the cough verse of Psalm 119 was lament and so I took that and I put a little bossa nova flair on it and I performed it they then this is a pattern that I've seen through other churches um I didn't even get anything back I didn't get a no I didn't get a oh that was a great song but we're not looking for that or nothing like that so I got nothing <laughs> and instead was told to go in the children's ministry. And <laughs> that's pretty familiar, I think, for a lot of women. Um, and so I was in high school at this point. And so I was in the, you know, the, the young adult or whatever it is. <laughs> and even, even then, because I wasn't baptized in the evangelical church, because that wasn't my initial faith and I 
I was kind of a Bible nerd as well, like not, not memorizing verses, but, you know, getting really deep into the hermeneutics and stuff. I decided that I needed to find something that was a confirmation or an affirmation of my first baptism instead of just getting baptized again. But because I decided not to, they said I couldn't be on the worship team. I couldn't be in the artisan, whatever they called it. <laughs> um, so it was just constant uh, discouragement and constant rejection, but, but again, not outright rejection. Like that was the difference between the art world and the church is that, oh, this might hurt their feelings, so we're just not going to say anything. So that pattern kind of continued at the next church and the next church, but that's kind of like an introduction to, I guess, what not to do. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so, that's why this is really, uh, I wish more people would talk about this. So when you, um, you kind of bounced around different churches, then you ended up at APU mm-hmm. and you did um, gospel choir and did you do other like uh, worship style events while you're at APU? And if so, why did you choose to do those given the experience you had like with Mosaic and other churches? Yeah, so uh, I went to APU pretty much straight out of Mosaic and I just knew that I've always been drawn to gospel and gospel choir when I was a freshman and I auditioned for it before I even got in to APU. That was like one of mm-hmm. my first auditions. Um, it was very clear. I've always been, uh, Josie mentioned I'm a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also write like soul based music. And so gospel just seemed like it could be home for me, like because I didn't have any sense of home musically for worship music so I was in gospel choir I also later on did a university choir and orchestra which was a ministry group and I did vocal jazz but that wasn't really centered on ministry but I could I definitely think even so it was more the mo- more of more ministry minded <laughs> than Mm -hmm. other groups I've been in, even though it's not specifically that, you know, I think we ministered to a lot of people. Um, But I was also in chapel band. And that was kind of an interesting experience, because I didn't get in with my audition. Um, And it wasn't because of my playing. (laughs) They said I played really well. I auditioned, uh, I auditioned on voice and bass. I'm a bass Mm -hmm. player. And they said it wasn't my playing. It's just that they really felt that my heart wasn't in it. So they made a judgment call about my heart um, and didn't accept me that way. So <laughs> that obviously was weird. But then one time, one time I played bass for, for uh, my friend Haley Bowers and she did a worship. Uh, I think, what is the thing that they used to do where they, uh, you would have worship things within your residence hall? Mm-hmm. yeah oh like uh yeah when they did like living spaces yes. chapel. Mm-hmm. Bases. so <laughs> I was basically playing bass for that and Sean Beck who at the time was the worship director saw mm-hmm. me play and said hey the bassist dropped out for East Campus and I think you're a really great player and worship 
a musician, like, would you like to join? And so I was excited because for the first time, somebody saw my work and said, you're worthy. <laughs> um, but it sets a pattern really of just, I don't know, it's, especially because a lot of my work throughout my life has been about being excellent and also expressing myself. Mm -hmm. And for somebody early on to be like, I mean, sorry, early on in the audition process to make a judgment call about my heart is super invalidating. So I'm, of course, grasping at whatever I could get. So when Sean Beck, who's, you know, awesome at what he does, tells me, you, you, you're worthy, then I'm jumping at it because <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out my place here. And there's also other people saying, oh, well, like, you're a musician, but you're not like a worship musician. I'm like, whoa, um, what do I do? <laughs> and so was that your, cause I know Haley transferred. So was that like freshman, sophomore year? Like when did this happen? And then did you continue to play in chapel after that? Good question. Uh, yeah, that was freshman, freshman year, second semester. Okay. Uh, at, toward the, was it? Yes. Yes. Um, and so I joined the chapel band the next year. So that was the audition for the next year. Um, okay. So I did it for that year. And then I auditioned again because I enjoyed it for the most part. It was kind of odd that the first year, I don't know if you know this, but the first year of chapel band, you don't get paid, but you, or any scholarship or anything like that, you get service hours. So, Wait, I thought they got paid. Okay, yes, they do. But if it's your first time, you don't. So it's you have like, to be a repeat. Yeah, so it's almost Is like a, a trial reason? or like a probation. Like, do they justify? Well, I was like, do they justify this? Like, what's their reasoning behind that? I have that? no clue. Um, but they, that was the rule. You get, I forgot how many service hours for like community service. Um. I, I hope it's the whole semester's yeah, work because 30. a lot of yeah. that was like that's a lot of time with like practice and all that like and, geez and not only practice like it was the most ridiculous hours so my Monday because I'm a, a music major I was stacked from because I had East Campus so I had to be there at eight or eight thirty um, and then play chapel which is was, at like ten thirty that, that's like three hours of my life and my sleep. <laughs> and then we decided that the only day that worked for rehearsal was Monday. So I was stacked for almost 10 hours with barely breaks. And the la the rehearsal for that chapel band was at 9.30 p.m. Oh my god. And although it's supposed to only be an hour and a half to two hours, we went till midnight or past that most days. So like that, if I think about that type of work schedule now, like as a professional, like that is like, you should get a day rate. <laughs> you yes. should get a day rate. That's a minimum of six day. hours. Hell yeah. Well. And, and so what happened was I, um, I saw this opportunity to keep growing in this area, even though I was a workhorse, I didn't see it like that at, in the, at the time. I was just trying to like survive. <laughs> And so I auditioned again and I didn't freaking get in. <laughs> I'm like, wait, um, 
uh, actually, sorry, uh, back backtrack. I did. I don't remember. Things get a little um fuzzy, but I didn't get in. And so then I was like, wait, so what is this saying? Well, they didn't give me any feedback about it. Like, so was the time I had before, did you just not like that? Or is it purely based on my audition? Like what's going on? <laughs> so I see this pattern again. And the thing about the pay was that the second year you do it, you get paid like a job. Mm-hmm. So I was SOL at that point. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to get another job because I thought that that would be my job. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a job in uh, IT. Um, so yeah, that's the story about worship. But I was in UCO, which is technically a ministry choir. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, the next year, I was in UCO and I had told the director because I was looking for also solos because I was exploring worship leading instead of just musician Mm -hmm. because I thought that I had the capacity to do that because during that time I was attending another church and they were giving me worship leading opportunities and there was a first church that like allowed me to express myself creatively so that was happening all the while Mm -hmm. and so in UCO, I'm like, okay, I'm, maybe I could have some leadership opportunities. They actually gave me um, a section leading position because I had told my teacher, I was like, look, I, I'm struggling financially. I don't think I'm going to be able to come back to APU if I don't get another scholarship or another, yeah, I can't do it. And so that teacher ended up saying, hey, you have great musicianship skills and you have great leadership skills. I can already see that. So we're going to put you in, um, in charge of the soprano section. So that was great. And I felt like I was being put to use in the, the way that I felt my gifts were. Um, but then <laughs> at the church, while I was being fulfilled creatively and I felt like I was actually glorifying God in a leadership setting at the same time, the pastoral staff was treating me like decoration again. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't getting paid. I was a volunteer. So there's like two sides (laughs) to this wonderful creative expression. We would even like write songs like in our rehearsals and, perf- and, you know, perform those lyrics for people to sing back to us. Like, it was really, truly something I felt like reflected the kingdom of God and created creativity. Yet, we weren't getting paid. We weren't getting, like, really anything. Because, like, service hours, I, I did ask for service hours because I'm like, I should get something. And so I ended up getting some service hours for APU. But basically exposure <laughs> yes apu um fuck you first of all um I'm i also sure... wasn't sure if i could curse every time i've said freak oh yeah I'm like, <laughs> no I'm like, oh, we love well i love the curse words i'm sure spencer just puts up with me 
Yeah, I I don't know if you could tell by my voice. I hope I hope not, but I get a little shaky in my mm-hmm. stomach when I'm talking about this. So apologies. No, yeah, it's um, I'm sure when you were saying how second year people get paid, I'm sure that one there was somebody else that had a cooler vibe than you like appearance wise like i'm sure it was some random little teeny bopper white boy who looked like a skater kid or whatever and like, or has this... like arm tattoos and right like, a fade mm-hmm. haircut <laughs> and it was his first year so they wouldn't have to pay him because apu um is really concerned with money if in case anybody hasn't noticed um anybody from apu anyways and i so all those factors come into play right and yeah, I, it's it's ridiculous how at APU they expect, and I'm sure it's a lot this way. A lot of Christian colleges they expect you to work your ass off for nothing. Like, I my first year <laughs> at college, I was in the marching band, and, you know, and you got a $500 scholarship. But do you? I don't think anybody understands how much rehearsal goes into being a fucking marching band. Oh, oh my God. gosh, like, yes. talk about the workhorse thing, like, it was yeah. a workout, it is late. Yeah, and I think we rehearsed, I mean, it wasn't super intense, like, I was in high school, and in high school, oh my God, I don't know how I did it, um, but, so it was an easier transition, because it was only three hours a night, one week, and every single fucking football game I had to be at, I hate football. I don't like football players. I don't, no, no, I don't mean that. I don't like the game. <laughs> I don't like the sport. I don't like the little boys painted with the APU on their chest. Whoa. I hate the whole environment, right? So I'm sitting there all pissed. But I needed the stupid $500. And then I was in a the handbell choir, which gave a ridiculous oh gosh, scholarship. <laughs> yes. I think it was like $1,500 a semester is what they gave us. Which is pretty ridiculous for a handbell choir. Um, or it might have been $1,500 a year. I don't remember how. Both sound ridiculous to me. Not enough, right? Um, and it was a six-hour-a-week commitment for wow. rehearsal. It was twice a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, 12.50 to 3.50. But again, I needed the money. Um, and so you're just like, as young musicians... You're expected to work your ass off for nothing. For and in the real world outside of IPU, it's for exposure. For for yeah, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't no. help the consciousness of the general population because if you go to school and you see that these musicians are working like 60, 70 hours a week or more, then you just think that's normal. Yeah. I totally identify with you saying like that you were decoration because I, um, in my past life, in my childhood, my parents were both, my dad was like a worship leader at church and my mom was, uh, singing off tune in the background. She was a background singer. (laughs) It's actually really funny. My mom can only follow somebody. So like if she had a part, if she had to sing the melody, but somebody was standing next to her, though, singing harmony, she would end up singing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, yes. that was funny. But she was in it, right? And my parents are these huge church people. And so obviously, little Josie 
could hold a note. So she had to be, she had to sing. And that's all I did. I took singing lessons, piano lessons. I had to carry on the family musicianship because on my dad's side of the family, everybody's a musician, which I mean, I could do it. I loved it. I loved music. Musicianship was great for me. I did it all the way through, again, second year of college. And the, the handbook choir was my final straw. I could not handle anything else. <laughs> Isn't it usually? <laughs> yeah. And I only it's did good. it because I started playing handbells at the Baptist church I went to right before um, high school. Because, again, I it was an easy thing for me to pick up. And they were like, Josie, can you please be in the handbell choir? Because we know you read music. We know you could do this. Can you just do it? And I was like, I guess. I think the key word is had to. Um, yes, I had to, because that was what it meant to be involved in. You were serving the Lord, playing handball choir for the Christmas service, whatever it was. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> always. And yes. if you're in a, if you're at APU and you do the celebrate Christmas <gasps> and good Lord. Glow in the dark, Christmas. baby. <laughs> glow in the dark gloves. Mm-hmm. Memorizing um, that shit was flesh. not, it was not great. But um, it's got to be dark so everybody yeah. can change places. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I was a token kid growing up. I was a token, cute little kid. There's videos of me sitting, like we had these huge music nights at that church. And I was always like the little kid that sang the little kid part, or I would sing the national anthem because I was cute and little. And I was always decoration, and everybody was always pitted against each other when they had little kid worship bands or teenage worship bands you know somebody had to be the leader and somebody wasn't good enough to be the leader or they weren't cool enough to be the leader it's all this weird show that when you get older you realize you don't even get paid to be in <laughs> yeah that's one that i uh uh the church i became a christian in um i have a lot of bad things to say about but one of the good things I have to say is I was in the like youth worship band and there was a uh he was like a volunteer like he he was just a youth leader but he was the one that was like in charge or like the band leader so there was never any like competition especially between girls because you know girls can just be me at that age so there was never a competition of like well I'm the leader because I sing better because um oh, yeah he was just always a leader he played like the lead guitar and like which is good too because as teenagers honestly sometimes you just need feedback from an adult because if a teenage girl told me I was singing off tune she would have caught hands but an adult being like hey like you're off key like let's fix it I was much more willing to listen to and so yeah that's one thing that I'm like wow looking back thank god there was an adult to facilitate these six to seven teenagers or else totally. we would have been <laughs> yeah that was definitely me I- oh my ear <laughs> flap <laughs> yeah like and the passive aggression too when you have situations like that where it's like um I think I should be the leader because somebody is (laughs) or just or even like something as petty as like picking what songs we sing like there's just certain songs that certain people wanted to sing these songs over and over because they knew they got the solo and our our youth band leader was just like this week Spencer's gonna pick three songs next week Ashley will pick songs you know like there was a rotation so I was like okay like this is good (laughs) I mean it's the same at like UCO and choirs like that like there were stars Mm -hmm. there were stars oh yeah I can name them off the top of my head (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -mm. and and the thing is like 
I remember I had a uh, I had a solo on like this song called God So Love the World and and there oh man this is like traumatic but we were on a tour and I was in Wash we were we were all in Washington and I had a panic attack like a couple hours before our performance and um, I was I was nearly unconscious I was still conscious but I wasn't responsive so they took me to a hospital not one that my insurance took did it go through your wallet <laughs> no that's like the first well maybe that's a poor people instinct but anyways <laughs> no no for real like yeah. I because I was I think it's because I was still responding like in small sentence like I was like yeah, I, yeah. yeah. like I, I could barely breathe I could barely breathe and I went to this um and I had the solo that night and so obviously it wasn't going to do it, but I, they ended up checking my vitals and I started to calm down once I was there. And so they just like, let me go. And um, then when I got back, I, it was already halfway through the show. Um, my friends were very relieved, but then after that, like, cause we had, we still had like, I don't know, eight more shows or something. We, um, I never got that solo again. I never got it again. And I felt so shitty. Like I was just like, oh, am I being like punished for having an attack? (laughs) And not to mention, I have been hounded by debt collectors for five years after that panic attack. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. For, uh, and they said I owe like $800 for checking my vitals, but that's a whole other conversation. Did you, did you bring it up? Yeah, I, you know what, I was too freaking passive and afraid that I would like miss another opportunity to well, I guess it shouldn't be on you, right? That shouldn't have happened in general. You shouldn't yeah, have like, to stand up for yourself in that situation. And, and the whole pattern with it not being addressed at all. So I just sit there wondering, like, am I actually being punished for like, um, it's not like I didn't show up, like people told the director, like what had happened. And there was no there was no like, hey, are you okay? Or n- none of that. There, um, there wasn't like a, oh, we're going to give this to Brooke or or Sarah or whatever. We're going to give this a book for now, just just to make sure you're stable or nothing. <laughs> no explanation, and it still it continues that like middle school drama of like I'm going to pick these songs because it sounds best with me, and I'm always going to get it. It continues if you don't nip it in the bud yeah early it's not about that well i think i remember university choir and orchestra being like super catty oh yeah absolutely and especially if you're in a position of leadership and you hear stuff like i'm not deaf like i can hear that people think i don't deserve it (laughs) yeah music majors at apu were a different breed y'all were catty as fuck <laughs> Jeez, yeah. i'm like i feel like i'm getting hives thinking about it <laughs> and well, what's yeah. even worse what's even worse is that that wasn't the worst of it it was like groups i mean i feel like i'm i'm, I'm gonna get like like blacklisted for saying this but i was in chamber singers after oh oh that's <laughs> a different level baby and man there's just so much so much uh trauma from that group but 
at the very least, I felt like I was using my talents. They, I think because they, they, they didn't mince their words when it came to criticism that I really liked mm-hmm. <laughs> at first. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I wanted to be in a professional group that wasn't just like wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in worship groups, everyone's wishy-washy. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Chamber Singers at APU is an internationally recognized chamber choir. Yes. And to be fair, I am grateful I was there. Like, as far as my musicianship goes, like, it's on another level. And I made some friends and whatnot. But some of the things that I experienced from, like, uh, because we went on a competition. This was a competition year. So there's uh yeah it's a it's a it can get a little culty at times oh yeah to just kind of throw into some perspective of how big a deal this choir is um my uncle travels all over the country for his job like pre-covid and one one time he was sitting in the airport and he was wearing the shirt i bought him apu standing in a tsa line and this tsa agent waves him forward whispers in his ear and says APO is one of the best choirs I've ever heard and let him cut the line so um and I believe I believe at the time he was in Texas maybe yeah he travels all over the country for his job and so he like that's like his favorite thing because he just will wear his APU shirt and he tells me all the time like he has tons of college shirts because he travels to college towns because he works in in sports and um, yeah, he's like, honestly, your APU shirt, I get more people that talk about that shirt than any of the other colleges. So uh, for real, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, yeah he's they... like a musician's hub, almost, yeah. in SoCal, at least. Yeah, um, one time I was at a punk art show, like in yeah. LA, and there was this like real punk rock looking uh, girl that was talking to me, just small talk. And I mentioned that I went to APU. And this punk rock girl with like piercings and she had like a shaved head with like different colors. She was awesome. Um, She was like, oh, my God, chamber singers came to my school when I was in fifth grade uh, and and, uh, it was in Colorado. Yep. They (laughs) came to my high school. It's unreal. It, It really is. So I thought I'd wanted to be part of that, but also it was something that would challenge me. And it definitely did. Mm-hmm. but yeah it, it is it, the scope of it it's kind of it's kind of crazy yeah I uh went to a high school who my choir director in high school I got kicked out of choir but that's neither here nor there <laughs> <laughs> um he uh loved like CBU's singers whatever they're called and APU. So they would all come to our high school to visit. Cause he would like, I guess you just have to ask and they'll really jump at the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and his daughter ended up going to APU around the same time that I did. You probably know her, Brianna. I'll uh, talk about it later, but it was just a funny experience because he kicked me out. And wow. I, yeah. I was friends who, with people who were friends with his daughter, like very good friends with these people who are very good friends. So I was always around her and I was like, your dad kicked me out of choir. <laughs> wow. But it's funny because that being kicked out of choir, I was kicked out of choir because I had band commitments. Oh, I was in that. band. And I was not I was in the jazz choir in high school because I was really good at 
whatever. I'm just kidding. So I was. Yes. But um, so I had, I was not getting a grade for being in this after school jazz group, and I was getting a grade for being in band. So obviously, when I had competitions on the same days, I was trying to figure out how to get to both, like have a friend come pick me up or whatever. But the director's like, don't even bother. You made your choice. And I was like, Ooh. yes, I did. I have to get a good grade in band because how embarrassing. I just have to show up to get a good grade in band. And I had already figured out a ride. And he was like, don't even bother. And so he kicked me out. Yeah. And like, I had to sit with him in my counselor's office to get, to get out of the class. And I was like, I don't want to be in this. Luckily, I had a good relationship with my counselor, but it was so awkward because I before that I had already had a lot of drama with these choir people that I was in this jazz group with because I was annoyed that I had to sit through how to read music lessons when I had taken those lessons since I was like six years old. I know how to read a music. That is definitely my experience. Like and I think I was in AP music theory at the same time too, and I was like, I know how to do this shit. Okay, why am AP I here? Music theory is. It's crazy. I've it's I, I didn't take it, but I uh, tutored for it. Jeez, it was not fun. I uh, some of, only got some a three. Theory, this is a small tangent, but I I tutored for theory. I'm like a theory nerd or whatever. But some of that stuff, like it gets so much in the way mm-hmm. of expression. And oh yeah, there's the other side of it where people don't care they don't give a shit about theory and they're just like oh i'm just gonna sing mm-hmm. <laughs> and i don't agree with that either but theory is to analyze yeah i don't need theory to know is... an alto clef okay yeah like if you're not playing viola mm-hmm. you don't need to know alto clef mm-hmm. um if you're not orchestrating which i was so i was like cool i'm gonna learn all these clefs awesome but like no but yeah. anyway <laughs> Anyways, that was a tangent. Um, back to talking shit about the church. No offense, uh, everybody. Uh, tell us, so what's your experience now? I mean, I guess it's different in pandemic times. But yeah, I'm curious how your experience is recognizing the tokenism, recognizing the elitism, recognizing the cattiness. How do you rectify all that with the worst parts currently mm-hmm. totally um so i'm i mentioned a worship leader worship pastor um <clears throat> i was doing quote-unquote gigs a lot post apu and also a little bit in my senior year so i was going to i i was at the church i mentioned like i was there for six years and i left because i was not being appreciated at all um and there was just so much I mean this was pretty recent too I want to say I want to say it was 2019 or 18 that I officially was just like I'm done because I got my affirmation of my baptism there at this church that I called home and that was 2018 that was when I my hair was this short to my ears my hair is now to my belly button so that's the the passage of time since i've left that church random but anyway um i had called it home and then i felt pretty betrayed and i got to speak to the worship pastor there months later because something bad had happened with 
the creative space that they made. And I didn't even know about this creative space. I had no clue that there was a creative space on the uh, attic of the church that people were using. Like I'm talking a studio, like with IMAX. Wow. And that was one of my other gripes with them is that like you talk about serving the homeless so much, but you make this co-work space with like really expensive IMAX and you complain about not having enough money. I'm like, what the hell? Oh no. <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion about funds and serving people actually in your community, but that's neither here nor there. And so I didn't know about this creative space and there was some thing happening with it with somebody that was using it. Um and they weren't honoring the space. And so I replied and I'm like, I would love to talk to you about why I left. <laughs> It seems like a good time. And I got to air out everything. And most of the gripes I, I've already kind of discussed, but um, it was kind of wild because at the time I had just joined this um, collective called Well Collective, and I'm still a part of it. Well Collective is basically a worship group that is spread out around LA. It was based in Pepperdine at first. And we serve the church of LA. So if you could think of it kind of like a Christian or a, a church booking company. <laughs> so if you need worship music, then you could basically call Taylor from Well Collective and he will hook you up with a really good, like it's curated, you know, everybody auditions to be in it. Um, but the way I got that gig was because I accepted a last minute gig um, in Tahunga and I live in Arcadia. And Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I needed money so much and I was trying to make some sort of mark as a worship leader and have some sort of real, like it was really hard to get gigs if you haven't done worship leading in a non-college setting. It was very strange, the the world of trying to get those gigs like I tried I tried a fellowship on Rovia and they took literally a year to get back to me <laughs> and I had already had a gig I'm like what <laughs> um and I also found out that singers don't get paid so oh absolutely not they don't um I don't know if that's changed uh fellowship on Rovia you should get on that but yeah but I don't know anyway <laughs> fast forward I'm still working for Well Collective and they are paying me a living wage to go to different churches um well the travel is one thing but also I felt for the first time that an employer was treating worship artists as as people who do labor mm -hmm. you know like not just like there's so much that is involved with leading a service especially if you've never been there before or maybe you're a returner like the planning part there's the the gear that we have to upkeep there's so much that is involved and and of course the interpersonal things <laughs> that may or may not be awkward and I was actually really grateful because I got to speak to the guy who leads it um, and he wanted to put me in places that I felt I belonged and not just send me to random churches in Koreatown and in Ontario and you know like everywhere they also uh, gave you extra if uh, based on mileage. So I'm like blowing is blowing my mind. <laughs> and 
so I made it clear to him that I really valued churches that were progressive and not just on paper, because that's what happened with Mosaic. Um, they got basically exposed that they do not care truly <laughs> about people who are LGBTQ, queer people. So I really cared about that stuff because I was hurt. <laughs> And so whenever there were progressive churches, I was like first in line out of the collective. There's only, there's only like 12 people. So, so I started serving at this church uh, in the Disciples of Christ sect. <laughs> and I had no idea what that was. <laughs> uh, but they had like gay, they had a gay pastor and they had queer people that were like actually in leadership positions and so it was like hey okay so I started going there and they kept requesting me back so I was serving there semi-regularly and then the pandemic hit and I wasn't doing anything at all because I, I it wasn't really that important to me at the time to make money I was just trying to be safe and I had been lucky enough that since my actual I say actual but I mean my w-2 job um pretty much dropped me I was able to get unemployment but somebody from that church the uh the church uh the disciples of Christ church uh called me up and said that they have a contemplative uh church that they're serving at in San Diego and they usually don't have music there are they're comprised of people who have been hurt by the church and they're trying to make something brand new or if not brand new they're just trying to do something different um so she said but for easter i really would love for you to join us and we'll see what happens and they were a tiny church so they couldn't pay me that much but at the time like i didn't care i was i was kind of happy to do it and it was over zoom perfect it was over zoom so it worked out and then fast forward to now i've been serving there every single week since easter whoa that's a, <laughs> that's almost a year now it's almost a year it's almost a year and on top of that uh as far as the pay goes i had a lengthy conversation about my role and while i was a freelance person you know like independent contractor they wanted to suss out what I was willing to do and whatnot. And I said, hey, so this wage you have, I usually only take that wage a couple times. And that's if I am, I show up and I'm given music and I leave. That's the wage that they were giving me. And I was very honest about it. And it was nerve wracking to do that when you try to, <laughs> to put your worth on the table. Um, but now I just do it all the time. <laughs> So yes. it was like training ground. And they said, oh my gosh, Brianna, like, we, like, please, we, if you, if you don't feel you are being um, treated fairly with your wage, like, absolutely let us know. And so they increased it to the amount that their budget allowed. And I was happy with that. And I don't have to travel, you know, I have all my gear here and I zoom in. And so I've been there every week. And not only that, I have creative control over what the music has to do with the message. And it's not all worship music either. Or worship music, I mean, like, 
like Hillsong-y. Yeah. It's not CCM all the time. If mm-hmm. I want to play a Leonard Cohen song, I did. Ay. If if the message was about light and I wanted a, or I knew that something, some other song in secular, whatever, matched it, I put it in and they had, they had every, they loved it. And I even put in original stuff. I shared poetry. Like it was a true artistic thing. Um, and anytime it felt rigid, we circled back and we had a little meeting and we're like, we want this to not feel like normal church where you're like stressed out, like <laughs> you're stressed out about the order and what verses and, and you're, yeah, the, the things I've experienced with in-person church <laughs> of just people just running around, like not experiencing the sanctuary of being with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah you've made leaps and strides oh yeah and I I don't feel like I have to you know constantly argue for what I'm worth and I'm still with well collective they they just aren't doing in-person stuff but the combination of that it's almost like you need to be shown what you can do what you can do or what what churches and employers can do in order for you to feel like you can receive that and there is biblical precedent for paying artists amen in the old testament and the new there is biblical precedent so there's absolutely no reason like i'm all for volunteering certain things like I, i volunteered so much of my time and you do, even if, if you're underpaid, if you're an underpaid musician, you are volunteering a lot of yourself. It ends up being that way. Like, what does $75 or $50? I used to take $50 gigs. And like, what does that pay for? Like, it pays for your gas. Maybe it pays for the lunch and breakfast that you bought that day. And That's what? It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like in churches... You should pay everybody first, and if you can't, then the pastor doesn't get paid. That's yeah, like my... I've, I've seen some budget meetings where I'm like, you're paying what? Or it's an all-volunteer church, right? Like, And you make that very clear. Like, I um, I went, when I lived in Ireland for a couple months, I went to a church, it was all-volunteer, and nobody got paid. But the pastor didn't get paid either. And Dang. they were paying for yeah. the lights, they were paying for the rent, and that's it. Um, at least... That's what I remember anyway. But yeah, I mean, we went when I lived there, everybody cleaned the bathrooms. We just took turns. Everybody took turns vacuuming. The kids after their youth group service would vacuum or Hoover, as they say in Ireland. Hoover. Ah, Love it. Yeah, I feel like it's one or the other, right? Either everybody or nobody. it's, It's clear terms. And that's really it. Like, I'm not against, I'm not truly against having volunteer positions i'm not against that it's more like are you performing a are you performing a job that you are literally taking away from somebody else like somebody does that for a living yeah um and if you are forthright about your budgetary concerns and your the way you spend your money as a church reflects that like you just said like the pastor was getting little to nothing and everybody was kind of helping out in a very communal way. That's cool. But if you're getting paid a salary, 
And I remember at the, the church that I was serving at during college, I, uh, I subbed for the worship leader and I got paid for that. And I was like, wait, <laughs> so is the stuff that I do not as worthy of a wage? Like, yeah, it didn't add up at all. And there was no talk about it. Yeah. Well, the church just disrespects artists in general. They think that art is something that you do in your free time. It's fun. It's cute. But for a lot of us, it's our profession. This is what we do. I mean, they want graphic designers to work for free. They want <laughs> some, they want like, if they want a mural, they want to not pay the person to do it. You know, they would try to get away with everything. And I get you know, money's tight, but if you can't afford it, then you don't get it. That's period, you know? Yeah, it's, I think about comparing these things to, uh, I don't want to say like real world, but, but if you, if you can't think of treating an artist the same way you would treat maybe an accountant or a lawyer or, or even um, somebody who, I don't know, like the, the common one is like plumber or carpenter, or like one of those like skilled worker skilled laborer if you can't think of treating those people that way then you shouldn't treat them like that at all like the idea that you also there's so many parameters with christian art like does it provide clear answers there's no ambiguity here (laughs) like i mentioned the space to lament and stuff like that like you don't do that with other art you don't do that with your Netflix shows. You don't. <laughs> yeah. You don't do that with your Beyonce albums. You don't ask Beyonce to answer questions about life and the universe. Yeah. You you jam. You I mean you make a joyful noise. People you mentioned that a lot. It's like you're setting more boundaries that I'm sorry not not boundaries, but you're setting more parameters than you do for your employees at your job than you do for an artist yeah worship music is weird more boundaries on an artist than your employees (laughs) yeah worship music has always been weird to me because i'm not very like a feely person i can be sometimes but this is why i left the charismatic pentecostal church because i'm not about that's not my way of worship and uh, newer worship songs i have a lot of trouble with theologically (laughs) like What's that song, Reckless Love? I fucking hate the song, Reckless Love. Because I'm like, um, last time I checked, the Lord's love is not reckless. It's very clear and, you know, very stable. You know, that don't sound reckless to me. But so What do you think of a reckless lover? You think of, like, somebody who doesn't text back? And yeah, I'm thinking like, Courtney doesn't... Love. <laughs> that's true. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that word. Um, but maybe that's just because I'm a writer and people have different thoughts on that but spencer i'm curious what you think as somebody who works for a church in a different capacity um what you think of artists getting paid i guess um i have a lot of thoughts (laughs) um yeah some of the stuff i disagree with but i disagree because of cultural and social context if that makes sense because I grew up in a very small town in Arizona where worship is not curated the same way it is in Los Angeles, Orange County, Southern California, mega churches, if that makes sense. Um, and so getting into like, obviously I totally agree paying people what they're worth, but I think where I kind of like 
kind of butt heads a little bit is when talking about um like like volunteering in the church band like where I grew up people didn't do that because they like they didn't they didn't do it because it was um like a career genuinely was like they wanted to serve the Lord that way Hmm. and so that's where I kind of like I push back a little bit because in a small town setting, like where I grew, where I went to church or even my parents are part of a church plant, the head pastor didn't take a salary for the first, I think it was like a full year, maybe even longer because he was focused on exactly what Josie was saying, like paying the bills, like um, making sure like other people were taken care of. And I really think the only person that was paid at that time was maybe like the, uh, maybe the worship pastor but I think at that point a lot of people were like more volunteering and then Mm -hmm. once they they've been around for maybe like five or six years now it's grown exponentially the pastor does take a salary the worship pastor takes a salary I'm pretty sure they have a youth pastor he takes a salary um but again like there's just like I don't know I I think of it from the mindset of like if I decided I wanted to serve in in worship again like I wouldn't expect a salary because for me it would be my form of service if that makes sense like instead of instead of serving in kids ministry like I want to serve on the worship band and so I think that's where um like again like the social context is really important because I I agree with you though in especially in Los Angeles and mega churches they don't just take anybody they don't take the people that just want to sing in the choir, which I think is a problem in and of itself, because I think there's, I think there's a balance of both. There is a balance of curating worship and using people that are talented, but there's also a balance of like, what happened to just 10 old ladies that want to sing on Sunday morning? Like, sure, they're a little off pitch, but their heart is in it. And that's a beautiful thing, you know? And so I think that's where, that's where I feel the most tension of and again, even just in the deconstructing of, I served at a mega church for years and I loved it, but that's where I feel tension of it's too curated to a point. And I think, yeah, like there needs to be a balance of you deserve a living wage because you are talented and you can curate and put your heart into these worship services. And then again, like there also needs to be space for like people that just want to volunteer. And so it's like, how do you how do you meet in the middle? If that makes sense? I don't know. Like, that's just, that was like what my biggest pushback was. And then when you were uh, like describing well, well collective, like I know for a fact, like just thinking about like people in my small town or like my parents that listen to this, like that idea of like churches hiring out like different music, like leaders, like that is so foreign of a concept to them. Mm-hmm. because the culture and society is just so different where they live if that makes sense yeah that definitely I um I asked <clears throat> I asked my boss about that and usually it's not really about like having guests or whatever or like hiring out every every time mm-hmm. it's more that the church didn't have anybody step up to lead and so it's kind of like he saw an opportunity to support worship artists and also fill a need. Yeah. So usually, like, there was one church I really liked that I was serving a few times, and somebody in, within their church stepped up, and so we left. Mm-hmm. Like, we either left or maybe maybe um, somebody from Well Collective decided some, – some of our uh, worship 
musicians end up staying at church. Okay. And that's really the goal. Yeah. It's like an interim. Like if they need an interim youth pastor, come stay for a few months while they did a search kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. That, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think because of kind of what you were talking about, I, I went to a church and I served there for a few years where there were a lot of rotating musicians. And I had a friend who, uh, he was a music major, um, like a double music ministry major. Yeah. And he would talk about all the time of like, oh yeah, this week I'm working at this church or this week I'm doing this church because of the, the instruments he was able to play. And so like, I always felt like that sucked for him because he never had a church home. And so like having that like balance of him, he's like, he's like, well, I do it because, you know, I need the money. He's like, but if the opportunity came about where somebody wanted to keep me and like pay me fairly, then like, I would love to do that. But a lot of people just don't want to, or they don't have a need for my specific instruments on a weekly basis sort of thing. Oh yeah. That, that is usually the case. Like, I think the stability is, I don't want to say it's the goal for everybody. I know Mm -hmm. people that are okay like for a while because I had been hurt by the previous church that had me on as a volunteer and wasn't willing to budge Mm -hmm. um even though I was putting not just and I don't think it's about I want to kind of touch on what you're saying the uh talent and the time and the heart um it's I think it's less about the talent as it is the work the expectation right the expectations yeah. that are put on you if you're a volunteer like I was um if you go and lead a song or you sing harmonies there are plenty of volunteers that would just come up for a few Sundays to sing harmonies you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Um, there's definitely space for that and actually I want to go back to um the Fellowship Monrovia thing because I think I, I kind of was thinking about it a little bit more and the people who were getting paid were the the stronghold band like they're there five services a Sunday which is yeah. which is uh, a lot <laughs> five services a Sunday and they are they're not just putting their their expertise and their like they're really crazy musicians uh, mm-hmm. gospel type and they're getting paid and then often people who really just want to sing and really just want to like get involved in that they can do that in a um, volunteer capacity or somebody who wants to maybe like play sax or something on a yeah just like a random thing so in a way I feel like that at the time when I was informed that vocalists don't get paid it wasn't what I needed at the time I was like I don't I'm not looking for a volunteer position but the people who are already in the church and they want to serve in that way. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. If you want to use your talents for the Lord, then so be it. But I think, yeah, it goes back to expectations. Like I remember growing up, my parents had to buy specific outfits to be in the worship band that week. And they had rotating outfits. They didn't get paid for any of this. And they, we had rehearsed Wednesday nights was worship practice and they had to be there or you didn't sing the next Sunday and nobody got paid except for maybe the worship pastor and like the one big singer or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's where I have an issue is if you have all these expectations of people and you don't want to pay them because whatever reason, specifically at this church, the pastor was getting an insane salary and he had a huge house and it was ridiculous. Um, So obviously the money was there, 
but yeah, I think that's it. Like if you, if you are a person who wants to volunteer your time and your energy and your talents, that's great. But the church, if the church expects somebody to be like the leader and pick the songs and put together and be communicating with other people and have all these expectations that one person, then you need to pay that person. Yeah. I think that, well, I think then in general, it's, I think that speaks to overall church culture, not specifically, um, arts. I think arts is a good place to like use the example, but like you said, from the ministry standpoint, like having served in ministries where I was definitely underpaid and like, yeah, like some of it was for like college credit. So there's that balance of like, Oh, I'm getting, cause like one of the things like while I was in college is for the credit, you could only be paid so much. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but again, yeah, I think there's volunteers across the church board that this happens to from Sunday school leaders to youth, pa- like youth, uh, not pastors, but you know, like youth leaders, like they're, they're overworked consistently and you're guilted into thinking like, well, this is for the Lord. And yeah, like there is a fine, there, there's a line of you have the desire to do this. Like you have a talent or you see a need that, you know, that like, Hey, I could fill that that is biblical. And like, God called you to do that. But I also agree with both of you in the sense of there's also biblical, um, there's also biblical context of why you should support them financially, emotionally, spiritually, if it reaches this certain point, because yeah, like youth leaders should not be expected to do some of the things they do. Children's uh, volunteers shouldn't be expected to do some of the things they do without a proper compensation or even at the very bone minimum proper training because sometimes that's so lacking significance um and so yeah I think overall that's a that's a testament to church culture and again like there there have been times where I felt underpaid and then there's other times where I didn't feel underpaid or undervalued because the support system that was built in was so healthy that it never felt strenuous And so I think, yeah, like, I think like music is a good place to like kind of root this out and then getting even more into the arts of like, um, graphic design or like, even like, um, what do you call it? Like, what's like the word for like proofreading, you know, like you proofread the Sunday bulletin sort of thing. Um, Copy editing. Yeah. Like copy editing, things like that, that people think that they're not a big deal And again, if you have a church, if you have a church of 50 people and you don't change your bulletin every week, and so maybe once a month you volunteer your time to copy edit, like that's totally different than a mega church where you don't just have bulletins, but you have handouts and flyers and pamphlets and they're changing weekly and they're going out to hundreds, thousands of people. And you have to do this like almost full-time job, 20 to 40 hours. And you're not and they want you to do it volunteering or they aren't paying you significant then yes like that definitely is a church structure and culture that needs to be addressed because like we've said previously on the podcast where churches put their money shows their value oh and definitely. they Preach. shouldn't guilt people into thinking that they should take something that's less than fair and it, it's a it's a form of gaslighting oh 100 it's like um I met, I mentioned earlier that, uh, like when Josie said, oh, did you tell him about the panic attack? It's like, you are gaslit, you gaslight yourself, actually, when you're a volunteer, where it's like, if I ask for more, I'm selfish. 
or if I ask for more, um, somebody else is going to take my job. Um, and that is present also in the art world as, as well. It's like, oh, definitely. If, yeah, if it, somebody else w- will be uh, desperate for a chance and they'll take it from me or that type of thing. But it's a form of gaslighting on the church's part because it's like, well, the, the well, it's for the Lord yeah. type of thing, as if the work that you do isn't when you get paid. Like well, it's no finish your thought. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Um, yeah. It's just the, it's almost like they're for, for, for artists and for volunteers. If, like you said, when you are getting the support, but you're not being getting paid as much, it's like, it's completely different story. If you don't get the support and you're not getting paid and yes. you, etc. cetera. Um, when it came to the church I was serving at where I felt like there was a, a wonderful opportunity to be creative in um, service, but I wasn't getting the support I needed. And I was crying literally every service. I'd go to the bathroom or in my car and I'd cry. And it's like, that is not, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be worth it if I was paid, if I was crying every, every service, but it's, it's like a, it's almost a, a litmus test, I suppose. It's like, well, we're, we're kind of conditioned to not ask for what we need, whether it be money or emotional support or spiritual support. Mm-hmm. If I was getting a little bit more like counseled or I wasn't being just put off just because all the conversations I would have would be like, oh, you did a great job playing bass and then nothing else, even though I was like heavily struggling. Yeah. And I think too, like, so, so like different standpoints of like, uh, one of the classes I took about at APU was all about like spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. And the, I chose art as like my semester, like focus. And so I think a lot of times artists, not just musicians, but like painters or poetry, like so many things like get written off because we see them as forms of worship or spiritual discipline. And so a lot of times people are like, oh, but like your like journey with the Lord, like, isn't that like enough? Like, isn't that like payment enough? Like, isn't that enough for you? But I think again, it's like written off, which is also really weird because if you look at church history, art is elevated so heavily and especially like paid for. Yes. Like you're talking about like, you want to go to the Vatican and see those beautiful paintings. Like, dude, they paid big money for that stuff. Big money. Or like when, um, the tabernacle, like, (laughs) like when I took my, when I took my class, I focused on, um, the history of stained glass windows and like why they were made for the churches. I love that stuff. (laughs) And, you know, they were made to tell these stories and the, the, just the craftsmanship of forming like the iron bars and then filling it with the glass and coloring the glass and tempering it and all of this stuff. And yes, like the artists got so much satisfaction and so much like connection with the Lord while they're trying to tell these stories. And you can reflect that in your own personhood of like, my big thing was like, all of us are stained glass windows sort of thing because you know like god like because the stained glass windows reflect the light and that's supposed to be us if god formed us like you would a window and his light reflects on us like oh this beautiful metaphor but they were paid for it and nobody questioned them and to this day to this day we take so much time and effort to preserve them in these cathedrals to preserve them in museums like 
you'll pay top dollar to fly to the other side of the world and look at these beautiful things. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this is a testament to God's glory, but this is happening in your own backyard with people in your church. And you're not going to acknowledge that this same level of, of talent and God given like worth is inherent in these people just because they live in your neighborhood and they serve in your church. And you think, well, you should want to do it because God wants you to do it. Yeah. God wants you to do it. And he wants you to pay me for it. Yeah. Yeah, And it's about the, you mentioned support too. It's um, like, God also wants these people that are, um, you know, making these pieces of art that not only teach us, but also make us really go inward Mm -hmm. and they need to be supported in, in a a myriad of ways, but also um, I loved, yeah, the stained glass for sure. I was thinking about that earlier. Also like, I lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Let's see. I wrote some notes. You can, you can, you can skip me. I had train of thought lost. (laughs) Well, friends, um, my final thoughts on the subject are not only do you have to pay people that do work for the church, you got to pay them a living wage, if not better, because otherwise, and I'm not talking about a couple dollars above minimum wage. I'm talking about their worth that you, like, like you know, their worth, like yeah. don't pay them the national average seven fifty, whatever it is. If they're a graphic designer, you pay them what a regular graphic designer gets paid. If you're paying a musician, you pay them what a musician gets paid, not just what you yeah. deem as a church. And if you can't afford it, then you can't afford it. And you wait until you get a volunteer. And you get less, actually, if you if you have, you actually lose people if mm-hmm. you don't get to that, um, to that level of supporting them because uh, on the graphic designer side, if you have your graphic designer volunteering completely for, let's say, a megachurch and they get a job that actually values their talents with monetary value what why would they do that stuff for free for the same amount of hours that they do at their job like you lose people that way and so like do you want to not have beautiful art and theater production that whatever the church might do for art like you're gonna lose people and I was almost lost for sure because of my myriad of experiences uh being undervalued but the thought I wanted to end on too is I resent, I resent the idea that artists have this one very special gift from God that is their calling to be an artist. I resent that being the reason for not paying them, but also it sends a message to people who aren't artists by their profession because they have this like, and this is from my family um you know you're oh you're so lucky you get to do your passion and like and they think that they can't they think that they can't you I mean we are creating the image of God and God is a creator so that doesn't mean that special people get to be artists everybody's an artist yeah like that's one thing I do like about my current church is that we are uh we have spiritual practices where we do some sort of art together and it doesn't have to be good it doesn't have to be 
um, or good, <laughs> you know, it's a self, it's about self-expression to your God. And it sends a really bad message if you treat the artist by trade that way, because then these other people don't think they can do it as well. And, and it's not even about being, uh, being an artist as a job. Not everybody needs to be an artist as a job. Like, I, I'm a musician, but when I was a kid, I thought I had to give up all other forms of art. <laughs> but I just started drawing again. Or like my mom, she, um, she used, used to write. Sometimes she says used to. And it's like, you can still write. You can still write poetry. You can still paint. Like that is a beautiful expression and not, and it's also like helpful for your soul, helpful for your mental health. So it's, it's a bad message. And I, I really hope that changes because I hear it still about artists having this special gift from God. It's like, no, the, everyone has it. Everyone has the capacity to be creative and be an artist. However, some people took it further and worked on it (laughs) yeah just because you're not a carpenter doesn't mean you can't build a chair yeah like a good table i mean jesus you know (laughs) yeah i'm no carpenter (laughs) and i build chairs well other things spencer any final thoughts uh final thoughts being again i think just looking at church culture more than anything. And, um, yeah, like realizing that not even just like church culture, but like societal culture, the backgrounds that people come from in terms of like what it means to pay people. And again, realizing that, you know, cause there are times when if you have a tiny church and there's just no funds, that doesn't mean people don't want to serve with you. Be upfront and honest about what you can pay. And again, providing that support, because a lot of times people are more willing to say yes, if they know the wage is lower, but they know you're not just going to shit on them and overwork them without giving them plenty of support. Like you gotta, you gotta have healthy boundaries and be honest about what your church can pay. Because I think a lot of people are willing to meet in the middle under the right circumstances. Exactly. Absolutely. Totally in agreement there. All right, Brianna. Well, thanks for having or having us. I'm having you. <laughs> thanks for coming on our podcast. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Plug your work. Tell All us. Right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I I love talking about things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just holding holding space for for these difficult conversations um, is really really admirable. So thank you guys. Um, but I, so as Josie said, I'm Brianna Ibarra on all the musical things online, social media, excuse me, um, Brianna Ibarra music on Instagram and Facebook, but I also hold a podcast called Artists on the Invisible. And in that podcast, we talk to artists, um, of different disciplines, mostly musicians but we we had Josie on yeah and, um some other visual artists we have a baker coming a baker and film guy so anyway that podcast we talk about invisible illness and chronic pain mental health obstacles as well as other invisible struggles that we go through such as racism sexism homophobia and uh the first video is live on youtube and we talk about 
Lyme disease. We actually talk a lot about the church and mental health. So I'm really proud of that project and I started it um, while I was unable to use my hands for my art, which sucks. <laughs> but uh, while I was not doing that, I was talking to other artists like yourself. And so I'm, I also have music coming out soon, um, a new single. And yeah, so I'll be doing a lot of stuff coming soon. And that'll be found uh, Brianna Ibarra Music. Love it. Spencer, where can the people find us? They can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. They can find us on Twitter at Speaking Church. And they can email us at speakinginchurch at gmail.com. Yeah, and you can find me on Instagram at Josie Takes the World or Spencer at Spence Rose and on Twitter as well. But I forget those. So figure it out. <laughs> follow <laughs> them. Follow the podcast Twitter and then you'll find us. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. As always, stay woke or get woke. Jesus loves you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.